I'll try it again. Merry Christmas. Thank you for inviting me to be here, part of your service this morning. I just want you to know, it's taken me almost 700 years from the time I was born to when Christ was born. And it was a long time coming, but I can remember all those seven to 750 years I lived before the birth of Jesus Christ. I was called by God to be a prophet. And my main ministry was to the southern kingdom, Judah. Maybe you realize that Israel split and there was two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And I was called to prophesy and to minister to the southern kingdom of Judah. Although from time to time I did get to minister to the kings in the northern kingdom. My father's name was Amos. And in our Jewish tradition, my brother was King Amaziah of Judah. And when he died, my cousin Azariah took the throne. Now you may understand or know Azariah better from when I used his name in the book that I wrote and I named him Uzziah. And that's what I knew him as, King Uzziah. Now King Uzziah was a pretty good king. He uh, reigned for 52 years, and for the most part of those 52 years, he did a w wonderful job. But in the end, his uh, head got bigger than his heart. Pride led to his fall. As a matter of fact, God had to punish, had to judge Uzziah, and he gave him leprosy. In the apocryphal book, The Assumption of Isaiah, it would tell you that I was sawn in two by the wicked and evil King Manasseh in around 861 B.C. I was married to the prophetess, and two of my children are mentioned in the scriptures. Both of my son's names were symbolic. One meant a remnant will return, and the other meant hurry, spoil, swift to plunder. Now, I want you to know I did not pick those names, okay? God picked those names. And the reason that God picked those names is because he was warning Judah of the coming judgment against their rebellion. You're probably thinking by now, what is a guy that's lived 700, 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus? What can he teach us about that first Christmas night? Well, if you have your copy of scripture and you turn to the book that I wrote, Isaiah, in chapter 7... I'd love to show you some of the things that God showed me in Isaiah chapter 7. King Ahaz uh, had just learned that Syria and Israel are teaming up. Syria and Israel are going to come and they're going to attack Judah. Well, Ahaz is shaking in his boots, so to speak, and he's afraid. And so he's trying to figure out any way he can in order to uh, fight back with Syria and uh, Israel, but yet his forces would not be large enough. So he was even thinking about teaming up with Assyria when all along he should have been turning to our God. And that's when I come into the picture. You can look there in verse 3. God said, go out to, to meet Ahaz, you and Sheer Jashub, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful. Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Rimelah, 
because Syria with Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, and the son of Remelah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. So I did what the Lord told me to do. I went to King Ahaz, but he wouldn't listen to me. He wouldn't take this comfort from the Lord, this promise from God. And so God sent me back to Ahaz a few days later, and I go back to Ahaz. And this time the Lord said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Well, you couldn't believe, oh, Ahaz. You know, in his faux piety, he said, oh, I'm not going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to ask. See, he should have asked because God told him to ask. And I believe with all of my heart, if he would have asked the Lord, even for something as simple as a rainbow, God would have given it to him. Or perhaps it could be something as miraculous as the dead being raised from Sheol and God would have given it to him because God wanted to affirm and assure Ahaz that he is God, that he was real, that he is there, he is sovereign, he is in control and there is nothing too mighty for him, not even when two kingdoms like Syria and Israel team up to go against them. But Ahaz, he rejected. He said, no, I don't need a sign from you, God. And Ahaz's rejection of God and what God might have told him was surely an indication of his lack of faith in God. He wasn't really interested in what God had to say. He wasn't interested in putting his faith or trust in God. I, I think, well, I know that he had already devised a plan for himself. He didn't need God Almighty on his side. You know what he did? He went to the king of Syria, Tiglish uh, uh, Pelshazzar, and he, he came to, to him and said, hey, let's team up and go against Israel and Syria. He tried to do it himself. <laughs> Don't we all do that? We have a God that is ready, willing, Enable to take care of everything. No matter what is going on in our life, whatever our need is, no matter how hard the, the circumstances, no matter how crushing the, the thing that happened, no matter what was going on, we have a God that is in control and that can take care of it. <laughs> oh, but we try to plan our own way out, don't we? I remember what King Solomon, he lived 200 years before I did, but I remember what he wrote in Proverbs 3. He says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, straight, your, your path straight. Oh. Well, sorry. Let me get back to the story. Can I do that? If we get back to the story, Ahaz is trying to create an alliance with Assyria. He says, I don't need you, God. I don't trust you, God. I don't have enough faith in you, God. I'm going to do it myself. And guess what? That didn't make God very happy. 
And so this time, God sends me back to Ahaz. And when I go back to Ahaz, I have this message for him. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, something y'all need to understand is this sign from God is not just a sign to Ahaz. It really is a sign for all of the Davidic dynasty, whether it's kings or peasants. It's a sign for Israel that there is one coming named Emmanuel. And, and what I found interesting in all of this, see, God was willing to give Ahaz this promise, a sign. He said, listen, Ahaz, if you'll just put your trust in me, I will prove it to you by giving you a sign. Whatever sign you ask for, I will give it to you just so you know that you can trust in my promises. Huh. But his pride, his false piety, it wouldn't let him do it. And so now God sends me back to him. And now instead of a sign of promise, now God has given him a prophetic sign. A sign not just for Ahaz, but for all of Israel, that there is a greater king coming. And his name will be Emmanuel, the Messiah. See, this child would serve as a sign to Ahaz and the nation. And before this child was even old enough to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, both Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, would be gone. This child would be proof that God was present among his people to protect them, to watch over them, to save them. They could trust that neither Ahaz, nor Pekah, nor Rezin, or Tiglath-Pilazar, king of Assyria, nor any other king or queen or oppressor would be able to ultimately destroy God's people. He was ready to do all of this. God would and did preserve Judah and David's line from whom the Messiah was born from that virgin Mary. Since Ahaz rejected God, the Lord gave him this prophetic sign to one of one whom would come. And his name would be Emmanuel. Oh, I love that name, Emmanuel. God with us. The very name of this son to come was meant to give us hope of an heir in the lineage of the great King David. And now he has come. He is here. If, if I could, if I could just get you to jump about 740 or 50 years ahead and turn over in your scriptures to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, you can see the only other place that this word is used, Emmanuel. Now let me tell you something about the gospel of Matthew and Matthew himself. Now Matthew was a Hebrew Hebrew. He was a Jewish Jew. I mean, I mean he, was, he, was, he was the right kind of guy in my estimation. And when Matthew wrote his gospel, this letter that we have, this, this story about Jesus, he told us almost 20 times or over 20 times why he even wrote the gospel in the first place. He wrote this gospel, it says over and over, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet and that was me but not just me Jeremiah and others but he wrote it 
so that the Jews would know that the Messiah had come, that Emmanuel was with us. So when you read the Gospel of Matthew, know that one of the reasons that Matthew wrote it was to tie the Old Testament with the New Testament to, to show us how what God had promised to the Israel people is now fulfilled through Jesus Christ to all people. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, Matthew tells us that Mary was the foretold virgin through whom God gave Jesus as the sign proving that he would be with his people to save them. That very one that God told me when he told me to say those words, Emmanuel, is now being fulfilled through this virgin named Mary and this baby named Jesus. Now I want you to understand and I want you to be careful. Matthew didn't just pull something out of the air. He didn't just uh, flip through the scrolls to try to find a prophecy. No, Matthew, through the Holy Spirit, knew that this prophecy that I had written all of those decades before was now being fulfilled. You can trust it. It is truth without error. Before there was a Christian doctrine of a virgin birth resulting in God with us, there was a Jewish doctrine of a virgin birth of God being with us seven and a half centuries prior to when it happened, given by God himself. You should also know that through the virgin birth, God has kept his promises to both the Jews and to people like you, you Gentiles, he has kept in his promise. In Genesis, God promised a Messiah that would defeat the, defeat the evil one. He promised Abraham a Messiah would come to not only bless my people, but to bless all the nations through him. The Lord promised that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and from the lineage of David himself, the Messiah would come. The incarnation of Jesus is a sign to the world that God keeps his promises. Huh. Oh, what about Joseph? Joseph was to find comfort in the fact that Mary had not been unfaithful to him, but yet God had been faithful to his people by becoming one of us through Jesus, our Emmanuel. As I think back to that day when God gave me that prophecy, that name, Emmanuel, I'm reminded that's what God had intended all along, isn't it? To be God with us. He created us in his image. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, were created in the very image of God for the purpose of having a relationship with God. And he was with them. 
And they destroyed that relationship. They disobeyed God. They had everything in their fingertips. They had all of the garden at their disposal except for one tree. And our, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed and they grabbed the fruit from that one tree. And they ate the fruit. Oh, see, it's always been God with us until we messed it up. Until we sinned. And that sin has been passed down from generation to generation and our relationship has been broken. And we have moved away from God. He did not move away from us, but we as a people have moved away from him. God has been and will always be with us. But it is our choice. It's your choice to recognize his presence. What have you chosen? And what will you choose? Will you choose now to say that God is with us through Jesus our Emmanuel? Throughout the Old Testament, God assures us, I am with you. Not necessarily our recognition that God is with us, but he, we could see that he was always with you, the Bible tells us. God manifested his presence in the pillar of fire and in the pillar of smoke. And you go to the, into the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple and especially the holy of holies and the ark of the covenant. God has always been present. He's always been there. But yet we haven't always recognized it. And when we did, it seemed remote, inaccessible, maybe even impersonal. And when those times when the glory of the Lord come and we would see it in those visions in, in, in the pillar or the building or the ark, it was so great and there was so much awe that the normal procedures could not even be conducted. God assured my people of his presence when we confronted battle and promised to be with us when we were fearful and weak. Uh, when we were facing great trial, God was there. He promised all the time. And when I uttered those words, his name will be Emmanuel. The emphasis changed from I with you to he with us. Yep. That first Christmas night, Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, became our Emmanuel, God with us. But see, you know, that's not the only name that God gave me. It was maybe the greatest. Maybe it's the one that I like the most. But if you turned over to chapter 9 in my book that I wrote in, in Isaiah chapter 9, you'll notice that God gave him other names. He had me write some other names down. And when I wrote these names, it was to encourage my listeners that God can be trusted then. And it should be an encouragement to you that God can be trusted even now. That he can be trusted that God's promise for us a safe kingdom then is now a promise for you a glorious kingdom to come. I warned Judah not to follow the lead of Israel and follow those idols and go into the, but they wouldn't listen. 
They didn't hear. So I pray that you would. I pray that you're listening today that know that God will keep his promise of a glorious kingdom to come. He will be ruled by none other than that Emmanuel. God with us. And as I wrote these words, I thought how different the kingdom will be then when the Messiah is ruling. Instead of war and darkness and distress, there will be a time of peace and light and joy. When I shared with Ahaz and the rest of Judah that the promised one, born of a virgin whose name was Emmanuel, would give us the identity of the Messiah. I, I was so excited, but then when I wrote these new words... I didn't only know the identity of the Messiah, but I also knew the role and the function of the Messiah. In verse 6, I wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, Jesus' role as wonderful counselor speaks of his character. Now, when I wrote this word, wonderful counselor, it, I, I had something different in mind than what the way that you guys use this word wonderful today. See, you use this word wonderful as if it's, you know, it, it's, it's something that is lovely or, or pleasant. No, when I use this word, I, I meant that it is incomprehensible, that he is the incomprehensible counselor. That he has all of the knowledge, that he has everything that he needs. A counselor in my day was portrayed as, as a wise king. And that word, uh, wonderful, it means mind-boggling. Oh, what a word. That's what I meant. Jesus is mind-boggling. He is incomprehensible. God with us has incomprehensible wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus is hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of this earth. Jesus always knows what is going on in your life. And he always knows the right course of action to take. Oh, it's mind-boggling. It's incomprehensible. His position as your wonder that you can trust him to listen to your problems and guide you in the right direction. Oh, and I pray that he is your wonderful counselor. Jesus was and is mighty God. Mighty God. Fully God. God in all wisdom and power and might and authority. God in all of his infinite goodness, grace, mercy, and love. The God who has neither beginning nor end who existed from eternity past and who will exist into eternity future. The God who created the universe with its billions of galaxies and its trillions of stars. Oh, yes, this Emmanuel, born in a manger, is that mighty God. Listen. 
to the words that scripture says about this mighty God. Nothing is too hard for you. You do whatever you please. You're exalted as head over all. In other words, Jesus, your power is unlimited. When you want to do something, you simply do it. There is no force which, you can, which can resist you, no enemy which can succeed in opposing your will. Nothing can stand in your way. Your purposes are always accomplished. You are sovereign, sovereign over all. Oh, this is our mighty God, Emmanuel. His sovereignty, his power, his might you realize it extends to you? Whether, whether or not you believe it or accept it, Jesus is mighty God. He wants to have a relationship you, with you. He wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants to be your mighty God. But he is also everlasting father. Father forever. That word everlasting, it, it means perpetuity. Now the word that I used in particularly, I want you to understand, it doesn't just mean everlasting into the future. I also meant it to mean that he is everlasting father even from the very beginning. From time before time began, before whatever happened, wherever God was, whatever it was at that time, he was there. He was in the beginning. And he was heavenly father even then. And this idea does not negate the Trinity. The Messiah being the second person of the Trinity is in essence fully God. He is God. And he is heavenly father, uh, everlasting father. He has all the attributes of God including eternality. And since God is one, even though he existed in three, exists in three persons, the Messiah, our Emmanuel is our everlasting father. Think of the very best version of a father that you can think of. Maybe it's father's no, father knows best or leave it to beaver or whatever the father that you think of. And Jesus exceeds them all infinitely. Oh, he is our heavenly father. And Jesus, as the everlasting father, loved you so much that he placed upon himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin. He robed himself in it to die on a cross to redeem you. What a father. In my native language, the word for peace is shalom. Shalom. It carries the idea of having calm and tranquility. In the Greek, the Greek word for peace is irene. And it's different, a little different. It means unity and, and accord. And so when Jesus, this Emmanuel, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace comes into your life. 
He wants you to have that calm and tranquility. He wants you to have unity. And when the body of Christ comes, that you, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, when we come together, there is a unity, there is a calmness, there is a oneness. We are in one accord. There is no need for fighting and arguing and being bitter. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We all have different personalities. But we all have one purpose. Glorify Emmanuel. Peace is not natural to us, is it? In our sinful state, we are enemies with God. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are restored to a relationship with him. This is the deep abiding peace between our hearts and our creator that cannot be broken, cannot be taken away, and is the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' work as Prince of Peace. Maybe your life looks a lot like King Ahaz's or Judah. Maybe you feel like enemies are teaming up to go against you. Maybe sickness has entered into your life or into your family. Maybe there's been death. Maybe there's been hardship. Oh, listen. Can I tell you? There is one name, Emmanuel. God with us. Can you say that? Is he your Emmanuel? Is he with you? If not, I invite you today to trust in the one that is called Emmanuel, whose birth we celebrate. Trust in Jesus. Make him your Emmanuel. Make him God with you. I'm going to ask Brother Robbie to come stand at the front. He'll receive you this morning. If there's anyone that has a decision to make or maybe you just need prayer, whatever the case may be, Robbie will be here. He'll pray with you. He'll direct you. But I want to pray for you now. And I want you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether you're sitting in this audience or watching online, right in this moment you can do that. Just tell him you're a sinner and you need him to come into your life. Invite him in to be your Savior and your Lord. Father, thank you for our Emmanuel. Thank you for Jesus, whose birth we celebrate. Thank you for being with us. Now, God, show your presence to us. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing.